Hey, really glad to have you here today. And I want to start off on a pretty serious topic with some very, very good news. Are you ready for that? Uh, you may have seen this reported a month ago, and I knew this would come at some point. And here's what was reported in the Atlantic, reputable journal, April 2023. You're going to see this here on the screen. Nutritional studies over the years keep suggesting an unexpected result. <laughs> Eating ice cream might be good for you. I knew it all along. I mean, this is amazing. Much to their own surprise, researchers have repeatedly spotted an association between ice cream and a what kind of risk? A lower risk of diabetes and heart problems. I mean, this is, this is a gift from God. You know, I, I can hear those of you at Olmsted Falls celebrating Lorraine. I mean, this is just, you know, it, it says that your body craves what you need, right? And I just, you know, so I knew eventually it would come out. <laughs> so if uh, just no guilt today, as you go celebrate, uh, you know, uh, with the family, you're, you're going to want to make sure you didn't miss out on that very important announcement that's taking the world by storm. <laughs> For those of you newer to Grace, our current series uh, came from a survey we did five weeks ago where we invited... Uh, everyone uh, who had gathered at our campuses, we said, we want you to vote on the questions that you think people are asking the most. And so we dealt with questions like, uh, what about the afterlife? Like, what happens one minute after you die? If you want to check these out, you can do so online. We, we said, what needs to happen? The second most popular question was, what needs to happen before Jesus comes again? And Next week, we're going to deal with one of the questions that is common in, in several ways, but uh, is what, which of the Old Testament commands do we need to follow today? But today is the question, why does God let bad things happen? It's a relevant question that uh, touches a lot of people, and, uh, and, and I mean, you just, you chat with friends and family, even coming in today, I've already heard some like, wow, oh my goodness, I had no idea. We've recently prayed for a young dad who is informed that he has advanced cancer. I, I got a call from another guy out of town who told me, he said, my, my wife has fallen in love with another man and she's like, it's over. You know, I, I, I'm not, I, I've not been happy with you. And there are parents who are caring for a child with disabilities and they wonder, what is life gonna be like? You know, this is not what we had envisioned and we love this one. But it, it, it uh, maybe it's the pain of what someone, maybe what you don't have, you know, that it could be something even like, man, I don't have the job that I wanted, or I, on, on this Mother's Day, I've wanted a baby so desperately, and it's tough when you watch all your friends having baby showers, and even Mother's Day is, Mother's Day is a hard day whether you have kids or not for many, right? Mary and I have often said that our, our greatest joys have come from being parents and our deepest sorrows have largely come from some of the just walking with people, kids that you really love. Pain comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes, doesn't it? And many of you uh, have been there, you're there right now, and you know what that's like in a way that maybe is far beyond whatever I've experienced. So how do we respond when we or someone we care about goes through a really painful time and the question comes up, how can God, if he really exists, 
Because sometimes it even caused, causes us to question him. But we go, if he, if he really, really exists, how, how can a God who's all powerful and good allow really bad stuff to happen? How would you respond? What I, I want to say is this. While for some people that causes them to move away from God, there are just as many people that in a time of crisis, and I really believe with great reason, say, this has moved me toward God. Like, I, I don't know where else to turn. I'd like you to open your Bible with me, uh, or your Bible app, to James chapter 5. It's the eighth last book of the Bible. And just again, uh, to all of you at Olmstead Falls, uh, our campus there, uh, happy Mother's Day. We'll see many of you at our annual meeting this Tuesday. Uh, guys at Lorraine Correctional, really glad to have you joining in. Here that you get to have time with many of you with your moms uh, this week. And, and to our online community, uh, you're watching in New York and parts of Florida and other places all around Northeast Ohio. Glad to have you with us. And many of you, we look forward to seeing you again uh, soon. My heart for you this morning, uh, for all of us, is that we'll respond to suffering in a way that is honoring to God, gives us a sense of some answers and perspective, and that we'll know how to respond to others who maybe we're, we're not going through difficult times. And you might even today say, I, I'm, I'm doing awesome. Like, my life could not be better. Uh, we're trying to celebrate with, no, I'm just teasing. We do celebrate with you that. Uh, but you, you're going to have friends who are asking questions like this. So let's listen to what James says. James chapter 5, uh, verse 7, and my new living or new international version, it starts off with the title, Patience and Suffering. Here's what it says Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't Grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is what? Full full of compassion and mercy. Great wisdom there. Uh, and I want us to see the guidance that James gives us here, writing to a group of people who had done their share of suffering. But before we do that, let me just say everybody needs to have their perspective. If someone goes, you know, I can't follow a God who is supposedly all-powerful and loving and he allows suffering in the world. And if you, if you reject that, you have to have some kind of worldview to help you process, right? So let me just, you'll see this in your notes, but let's look at five perspectives on suffering since not everyone shares the assumptions made by James. Five of the most common views on the question of pain as it relates to, to God, or if you don't believe in God, first of all, is the one who doesn't, and that's the atheist, who says that because evil exists, that God cannot. This was the conclusion of the philosopher Voltaire, the French philosopher, a few centuries ago, and others who have bought into that along the uh, way. In our, in our day, someone like uh, Oxford University professor and author uh, Richard Dawkins, he wrote this. He said, 
Human life is nothing more than a way for selfish genes to multiply and reproduce. That's an encouraging statement about life, huh? He concludes that life is random, meaningless. He says, in the end, there is no design, no purpose, nothing but pitiless indifference. Basically, the atheist concludes that we're living in a cosmic accident, so when suffering comes, all you can say is really, that's just the way the ball bounces, and too bad it didn't go your way. Like, that's, you know, that's... They figure that the concept of God in a world filled with pain, that those two, God and pain are mutually exclusive. I believe they figured wrong. But I'll be the first to admit that even as a, as a follower of Jesus, that suffering can leave you shaken. There's no question about that. That it visits you in a profound way, and maybe you're tempted to wonder. You're like, God, I want to believe, but are you there? And if you're there, do you care? The next view is the philosopher who reasons that God is unable to prevent pain. We talked about this a few months ago uh, with the book actually by a man who just recently passed away in the last month, Rabbi Harold Kushner, who wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he said really in essence, if you want a summary of the book, is he said this, that God is, is good, uh, but he's not all powerful. He can't be both. He can't be both all good and all powerful. Of course, we as followers of Jesus would say, you know, that's not what the Bible teaches, and, and, and they're not mutually exclusive, but that's the view of some, is you, you, can't, you can't have both. Then there's the religious fringe, we might call it, uh, view number three, maybe you know someone who's a Christian scientist, that uh, they say that pain is just a, a, an illusion. I want you to do an experiment this afternoon. I want you to go home, if you think this is maybe the, <laughs> the correct view, and just take a hammer and just put your thumb out, and really, as, about as hard as you can, just hit your thumb and just go, was that an illusion, or did I really feel something? Uh, and if you felt something, then you can dispense with, <laughs> dispense with this view. Don't come back to me and say, John, one of my kids did that, and you should not have said that. Don't, don't try that at home. I don't, just throw that view out right there, okay? Another view is the legalist who claims that people bring pain on themselves. They, they take a very rigid view. And these are like Job's friends. Remember the story of Job that they're like all suffering as a result of sin. Now, let's just say, is some suffering the result of, of sin? Yeah. Yeah, if, if, um, if a guy gets fired for stealing from his company... And then he gets fired, and, and, you know, and he's like, God, how can you make me lose my job? Was it God's fault? No, no, just stop stealing from your company. Maybe you'll keep your job, you know? Or the guy you've, you know, you read about these baseball pitchers, you know, major league, and they're, they, like, they, you know, they blow a save, and they go in the dugout, and what do they do? They, they punch the wall, and then they break the, their, you know, something in their hand. They're out for, like, weeks, that's not, that's not God, that's stupidity, right? That's, that's really all that, all that is. But, but to say that all suffering is a result of sin, that's, that's just cruel. That's, if you've been on the receiving end of that, and, and, and people you know are looking at you like, wow, you must have done something. John chapter nine, there's this guy who's born blind, and the disciples come to Jesus and they go, hey Jesus, this guy like is blind, like who sinned? Him or his, his parents? 
Like it had to be somebody that this is the consequences for somebody's really bad behavior. And what does Jesus say? Neither one. If you have a child or anybody you love, or maybe it's you who's, who's suffering physically and you're like, I, well, I, I must have done something wrong. It's tempting to think that because we've all done things that are wrong, right? We're like, I cheated on my test in eighth grade in math and that's the only way I passed that class and maybe this is a result of that, you know? And finally, 23 years later, it's happening. And No, 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 no. There, Jesus suffered. Did, did he ever sin? No. Paul suffered, Peter suffered, Mary suffered. You go, well, they, they did, yeah, but they, it was not a result of of their sin, it's because we live in a broken world, right? And so the view of the legalist is, well, sometimes our suffering is a result of, if it's really a clear consequence of our behavior. You know, I get stopped on the highway for speeding, and that, that's a consequence. But if it's not really a clear indicator, I can just say, God, I don't really know, I know that you love me. God, how do you wanna show yourself strong and, and, and bring glory to your name in this? The view I hold to is number five here. We live in a broken world for now, for now. Here's the Cliff's Notes version of history in the view of scripture. If you wanna know from Genesis to Revelation what the Bible really teaches, it's, it's, it's this, that, that way back in the beginning that that um, evil entered the world through this first couple, Adam and Eve, who turned their backs on God, and, and sin and all of its effects are injected into our world like a giant infection. And, and it led to physical problems and issues with our, our physical, like the climate and, and relationships, and our relationship, most of all, with God was messed up, and, that was the result of, of, of sin. We call it the fall. Like we fell from what God had always intended. This is in history. This really, really happened. And then God, you know, it begins working a plan and he's like, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna rescue you. And, and Jesus comes into our world and, and, you know, there's a prophecy even about him. It says in Isaiah 63 that in all their suffering, he also suffered. In your suffering, he suffers with you. He enters our pain. And, and so today, you and I can trust the wisdom and sovereignty of a loving God that, that Jesus has come into our world, he's reversed the curse, and he's writing a better story, and it's got a great ending. That's the perspective of James in these verses, that God is the ultimate author, and he writes the final chapter for all who trust in him, of, of your life and, and for my life, that, that when we look to him and say, God, I, I offer myself to you, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I invite you to come into my life. Would you forgive me and allow me to experience your grace? I give you the reins of my life, Jesus, that when you do that, that he writes the end of your story. So let's just talk here for a moment. What does James say about our role in suffering and God's role? And I think in this, we'll get some of the answers to that question, how, how can we trust a God uh, who allows evil in our world today? First, my role, James says this, be patient, uh, trust God to write the last chapter. Verse seven, he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
He gives you a timetable. He says, Jesus came and he's coming again. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And he says, be patient until that day when Jesus is going to restore all things. Do you see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient. How easy is patience for you? I hope it's easier than it is for me, right? It's, it's hard, isn't it? James asks us in our suffering to be patient, to wait, to trust in God, that he'll be good to his word, that he's going to restore all things one day. And James is saying there's going to be this day when Jesus comes again, there's the final trumpet, the voice of the archangel, and everything is going to be made right. Heaven's going to be the last chapter for everybody who's put their trust in Jesus. So don't think, James is saying, that in the middle of your pain, that God has gone AWOL. He's, he's at work. He's always at work. Be patient. He hasn't forgotten you. He's working out his plan. And he uses an illustration of farming. Now, a lot, not a lot of us are farmers, but he says this. He says, do you see how the farmer, you look at a picture like that, and you go, you know, Farmers need patience, right? Especially the first time you plant a crop. You go, I spent a lot of money and work on this. But any farmer, he or she is going to say, you know what? I, I believe something's happened under the ground. There's not observable evidence right now, but, but I'm patient. I'm, I'm willing to wait. And in time, they're going to see something good. James says it's the same way when we suffer that nothing visible, nothing good may seem to be happening. He says, wait, wait, be patient. That just as a farmer plants his crop and then sees this amazing result, and he goes, I, I, I want you, like Job, like others who have persevered, be patient. Trust your father. I like the way that Phil Yancey defines having faith in hard times. He says, faith is trusting in advance what may only make sense in reverse. Friends, you please God when you trust him like that. When you hold on to him, even when you go, this, this does not make sense to me right now. But I'm gonna trust the heart of my Father in heaven even before it makes sense. I'm going to be patient that he's not done writing the story of my life. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust him. Second encouragement James gives us is in the next verse, verse 8. He says, stand firm. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near to stand firm is literally is to establish your heart like you fortify yourself you sort of let your roots go deep and you determine what it is that you really believe and you hold on to with all your might when the storms come how do you do that you, you you get to know god you, you read the scriptures you, you look at the lives of people who have gone on before you I've listed as well some excellent books in your notes that have been really, uh, have strengthened so many on the journey. Any of those would be a great gift for a friend as well. Uh, 
they'll strengthen your heart. They've strengthened my heart. In one of those books, Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin writes a great chapter on this topic. And here's what she says. She says, from an atheist perspective, going back to view number one that we talked about earlier, she says, from an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope of a better end of the story, there is no ultimate story. Right? That's like a painful place to be. If you, if you say, I can't believe in a God, I go, well, what do you believe in? What are you going to do? From a Christian perspective, there's not only hope for a better end, there's intimacy now with the one whose resurrected hands still bear the scars of the nails that pinned him to the cross. Wow. You just focus on it. You meditate and you go, that strengthens my heart. It allows me to stand firm when the hard times come. And James gives us the example of Job. Here's Job's testimony. You remember how even though Job or, uh, God seemed absent in Job's life and there was a ton of suffering that didn't seem to make sense, Job would not let go of God, right? He stood firm. He had questions and he asked God his questions. But he refused to let go. And God didn't let go of him that in spite of death and disease and isolation from friends and family, and ultimately it just seemed like an utter abandonment from God. I mean, Job... <laughs> He went through it. His, his friends go, Job, like, they took the view of, like, the legalist. You must be suffering in your life. His own wife just says, just let go and die. And, and Job's fingers are so tightly wrapped around the promises of God, he just, he wouldn't, he, he, he wouldn't let go. Our role is clear. Be patient. Stand firm. And refuse to let go of God. What about God's role? If our, if our role is to say, God, I'm going to trust you. My roots are going to go deep. I'm going to be patient. James highlights God's activity, his character, in the following verse. And if we wonder, how can God let things happen? A lot of it, we, we come back, what is God doing, and what do I know about his heart? First of all, his activity. He's the only one who's able to take evil and turn it into good. Here's what we read in verse 11, the New Living Translation James says, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You see how the Lord was kind to him, what? At the end. At the end. That's what we learn from Job's experience, that the Lord's plan for all of us who trust him is ultimately going to end in good. God always writes the final chapter. Would you turn to your neighbor and just tell him that? Say, God always writes the final chapter. He always writes the final chapter, right? He says the Lord is kind at, at the end. What, what does that look? You might go, well, how is that going to happen in this situation? It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know. I don't pretend to have the answers. But what I can say is this, that, that God makes a promise, and in the worst trials for so many people, he, he's been faithful, faithful. Don't you think that Jesus' disciples felt completely defeated and deflated on the Saturday after he died? I mean, you just think they were like, this, we're done. Like, we're probably going to lose our lives. But the one that we thought was the Messiah is, is dead and gone. You might be today in the Saturday of your suffering where there's been a crushing blow and there's been nothing to give you answers on the other side. 
and it seems like your suffering will last forever. Jesus is proof a Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. Peter Kreef, the philosopher at Boston College, says this, criticizing God for not fixing things right now is like reading half a novel and criticizing the author for not resolving the plot. If you've been on a grace for a while, you've heard me quote that because that has been such a, just one for me to ponder to say, God, I, I, I don't want to criticize you halfway through the story. So wherever you are right now, whatever kind of pain you have in your current circumstances or someone you care about, are you willing to believe that God writes the final chapter and you can trust him? You can trust him. You can hold on to him. That he writes the final chapter, that's his promise. James also gives us a window into God's character. It's not only his activity, it's his character that he cares for me more than I can ever comprehend. The little verse, verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He just, doesn't just have compassion and mercy. He's like, think of a glass of water, you know, or whatever, and it's full. It's just like, wow, this is like, that's God's heart. And, and he's not just some like emotionless, emotionless distant deity that, uh, that he cares you know, Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is God with skin on it. So when you see Jesus, you see, you see the heart of God. So when he weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus, when he encounters a, a widow who's lost her only son and it says his heart goes out to her, that, that's, that's the heart of God today. He's unchanging. He's full of compassion and mercy. And so when injustice and heartache cause us to ask, how can God bear all of this suffering? The answer is he, he did, and he, and he does. How? When there appears to be no other evidence of God's love and initiative, I can never escape the evidence of the cross, the cross, that what appeared to be the greatest evil in, in all of history, right? This, this looked like the God himself being crucified on a cross became the greatest triumph that the world ever knew, that Jesus would die in my place and in your place and then come back to life and defeat death. He knows what it's like to feel pain, to encounter despair, to be rejected and lonely. You know, only in Christianity does God become like human, like one of us and, and live among us in the way that Jesus did. So what would I say to someone who said, how can God, if he exists, how can he allow the suffering in the world that we see today? I'd, I'd tell them, I'd say, our, our brokenness and our suffering are not the end of the story, right? That, that God's love compelled him to act, and so he came into our brokenness, into your brokenness. And, and we're gonna have tough times in this world. There's gonna be this thing of cancer and Parkinson's and unemployment and divorce and infertility and all of that, all of that. But God is always at work and he says, be patient, stand firm. Don't grumble. That Jesus is going to come again, wait patiently, and in the end, God's plan will be fulfilled. So trust him, trust him. C.S. Lewis, not long after the death of his wife, and just five months before his own 
departure from earth to heaven, he observed this. He said, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Would you say that one with me? Let's say that together, you ready? There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. Friends, not even worth comparing. Paul, Jesus, they, they would all agree that that what we're going to experience one day, if you know Jesus and you, you, you're welcomed into heaven, will put all of this in perspective. And Paul says it, it's not even worth comparing. It's not even worth comparing. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. So stand firm. Trust him. He's faithful and he's at work. Would you pray with me? In this moment, I wonder if you would do what I like to do at times, just take your palms and just let them face upward and say, Lord, in my life, in the lives of those I love, Lord, I don't understand everything, but I just surrender that every situation in my life, Lord, I lift up to you. You can take it. You can turn it into something good. Lord, I want to be one who trusts you, who's patient. Lord, help me to be patient, who stands firm and doesn't let the winds and the storms of life blow me over. So, Spirit of Jesus, come and strengthen me to that end. And may my light shine for you, especially in the difficult times. And may I encourage those who are going through the same. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you and accept your invitation to come and find rest in you. We love you and honor you today in your name. And everyone said,